Girlfriends, episode number 300, answering your questions. Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This is our 300th episode, and we are celebrating by me taking your questions. Anything goes. Let's get started. Hey there. Hey, girlfriend. I am so glad you are joining me here today. Can you believe that number? 300. That is a lot of me talking to this microphone, (laughs) but not truly this microphone. I'm talking to you. And that's why I've come this far with the podcast. That's why I've done so many episodes is because of you, because you show up. So I'm glad you're here. And just to celebrate the fact that we've reached this kind of milestone of 300 episodes, you know, I wanted to do something for other milestones, like when we reached 100, or when we reached 200, or when we reached a million downloads, and I don't even know what the downloads are now. This is reminding me, I should look that up. Um, Because you guys are incredible. I'm so grateful for the ways in which you interact with me in the podcast. I'm grateful for you showing up, grateful for you being a part of this girlfriend's community. So I just want to start out this show with a great big thank you to you because you are the reason I do this podcast. You are the reason I've continued to do this podcast. You're the reason I've hit this number 300. And I'm so happy to be here right here with you today. So I thought it would be a little bit fun to kind of mark this milestone of the 300th episode of Girlfriends by letting you decide, what am I going to talk about? Letting you decide what questions you might like for me to answer on the podcast. And so I asked for questions on a previous episode. I asked for questions on social media and I got a lot. And some of them are super complicated and require some, maybe a little bit of research, maybe some, a little bit of thought and preparation and more time than maybe I'm going to be able to devote to questions here in this show. So I am holding on to a lot of them for future episodes because, you know, that's how I always decide what I'm going to talk about here anyway, is I pick topics based on questions people give me. Sometimes in the second half of the show, I often will take on a listener's question as kind of the topic for that little part and answer their question there. But even just some of the larger topics, I'm just listening to what people are asking because this show is about you. The show is for you. I'm here because of you. And so I always love to be taking your questions. So I kind of like this opportunity to, in a more deliberate way, be soliciting questions from you and asking you what's on your mind, what's on your heart, what are you struggling with? What do you just plain want to know? Even some fun questions. I've gotten some fun ones here. So there's no way I can answer all of the questions I got, but I tried to pick through and kind of balance them with some of the more serious ones, some of the more kind of just fun, quick answer questions, that kind of thing. And I'm holding on to a lot of them for future topics, for future episodes, or that I might answer in the second part of the show in a future show, because they're just such great questions. And, you know, first of all, I just want to say, I am just honored that you guys entrust me with your hearts so often people will send me emails that are so deeply personal, just sharing what is on your heart, what is on your mind, what you're struggling with, some of your your deepest struggles. The, the fact that you bring them to me 
is truly an honor, truly a privilege. I'm not always going to have all the answers for you, but I'm always going to do my best to encourage you, to help you access resources, to access the answers you're looking for. And really, I'm, I'm here to encourage you along this, this path as we're all working our way toward heaven together here as the Girlfriends community. So let's get started. I'm just going to go through and we'll get to as many as we get to, okay? And if, if more get left off, like I said, I am holding on to some of these questions for future episodes. Also, I might just do a few IG lives over on Instagram, just because that's a fun way to interact and kind of take on a number of different questions like this. So this first one is actually, it's seasonal. So I thought this would be a good one to start with. And um, this woman wrote to me, she said, I'm a longtime fan of yours and I've read most of your books and have always listened to Girlfriends. I love your perspective on things. And I would like to know your experience and opinion on talking to your children about Santa. I love the magic of Christmas, but telling the girls about someone who, okay, pause (laughs) before I read the rest of this question. If you are listening with little kids and you are protective of their viewpoints, their thoughts, their perspective, their beliefs about Santa, about St. Nicholas, if you just don't want all the details hashed out here in front of them, feel free to skip over this part. Just hit fast forward now or pause and listen to it later. I just wanted to kind of give you that warning because I know some people listen with little kids around. All right. So she said, I love the magic of Christmas, but lying to the girls about someone who doesn't exist makes me very uncomfortable. I would like them to know that Christmas is magical because baby Jesus was born and to not get confused with which stories are true and which ones are not. What is your opinion on this? And what did you do with your own children? Okay, so we're starting out with a woo big topic here, a controversial topic. And let me start by saying we did not raise our kids to believe that Santa is real. I wasn't raised believing that Santa is real. And it just it wasn't something that ever appealed to me or felt natural to me in any way. That said, I fully understand that some people were raised believing Santa is real and it was a magical experience for them, nothing but positive, and they want the same thing for their kids. Fully understand and appreciate that. Perhaps a little bit less than this person who who wrote in this question because that's some harsh language there. But so I think how you were raised and what your tradition was growing up is going to play a lot into this as you're deciding how to handle it with your own kids. And it can be a tricky topic. It can be a dicey topic. I'll tell you that in my own experience growing up, I did feel like Christmas was magical. And we loved the story of Santa. We loved what I would call pretending to believe in Santa. That's what we loved. And we would talk about him. We would read the books. We would watch the TV specials. It was all just fun. But there wasn't ever a point where my parents were trying to tell me that this was an actual person who was actually going to come into our house on Christmas Eve, you know, come down the chimney. We didn't even have a chimney. But however, however, parents handled that. They were never trying to tell us that. And um, so that's really what we've done with our kids. And I, for us, it's been a great balance. So I would say, each couple, each family needs to decide on their own how they're going to handle this. And so you need to be on the same page with your husband for sure. So have these conversations with him. And then it doesn't matter 
what anybody else is doing. What matters is what you and your family are doing. And I will say this, that raising our kids to not, quote unquote, believe in Santa, um, we also wanted to be very sensitive and respectful of people and, and other children who do believe in Santa and that it was important to them. So we always told our kids, like, you know, don't discuss this with your friends. Don't be talking about this. You know, that's for their parents to talk to them about. And that kind of worked great. I don't know of any drama that ever happened in that regard. And I really did want to avoid that. I never wanted my kid to be the one on the playground that was educating everybody. But all of that said, my mom, this goes back to my mom before I was born, my oldest brother, she was raising to believe in Santa because she was raised to believe in Santa. And my dad, I don't know actually what my dad was raised to believe or not believe, but he, you know, he was fine with that. And um, what happened was my oldest brother went to play at a friend's house soon after Christmas and he came home and he said, you know what, mom, Tad must have been a much better boy than I was because he got a lot more stuff for Christmas. And wow, <laughs> uh, my mom decided right then and there to not try to continue this, this fantasy of Santa being real. She needed him to know that it wasn't about who was a good boy and who wasn't a good boy with how much stuff you got on Christmas morning, which, you know, unfortunately is part of that Santa narrative, right? <laughs> so, you know, every parent's going to need to navigate this on their own. And so what I would say is you asked what, how we've done it. And that's all I can really share. I know there are other ways of doing it that are great, that are magical, that are fun, that are faith-filled, all of those things. But you need to pick some a way of approaching it that feels right to you. You don't want to be forcing yourself or your spouse into something that feels unnatural, feels unpleasant. You know, you're describing, this person who wrote this is describing lying to her girls. Well, definitely you do not want to do that. If that's what it feels like to you, do not do that and don't ever feel like you need to. But I would say that it, we have had a ton of fun. I remember a ton of fun growing up and a ton of fun with our own kids doing what I call pretending to believe in Santa. And the greatest example of this is when my youngest brother, John, was little and I was, you know, he, I was uh, 11, I think, when he was born. Yeah. And so I was like a teenager at the time. He was still a little guy. And I remember him coming to me and saying, I know that Santa doesn't exist, but tell me how he gets in the house. You know, like he really wanted to talk about the story of Santa and how fun is that, you know, and um, I, can't, I think kids can kind of grow into an understanding of that. So however you do it in your own home and family, please be respectful of other people. The, the stupidest thing in the world is when people get into big fights about this online or otherwise. You don't need to be judging anybody else for whether they choose to teach their kids that Santa is real or not. And, you know, the fact is St. Nicholas is real. And that's what that's what Santa Claus, the character of Santa Claus is based on. So there isn't any, any lying going on there in many different scenarios where parents are talking about Santa Claus or St. Nicholas. So be at peace, be at peace. And don't don't get in fights with people about this. That's the dumbest thing in the world. You know, do you think baby Jesus wants you to be doing that? And no, he doesn't. So I think sometimes out of a sense of insecurity in our own parenting decisions, and this is something I suffered from quite a bit when I was a younger mom, that we we kind of want to think there's one right way to do it and ours is the one right way. And so now we need to tell everybody who's doing it the wrong way to, you know, fix themselves. But especially about this, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, Decide yourself with your husband how you want to handle this with your kids and then just enjoy it. Enjoy your own family holiday and faith traditions. It's really a beautiful gift that you're able to give to your kids. Okay, next, 
Um, someone wants to know, she says, I want to know about your homeschooling journey and how it has changed or stayed the same through elementary, middle school and high school. Oh, this is kind of a big one, but it is an important one. And one that I get asked about a lot is our homeschooling journey. So we did homeschool from the very start. Our kids never went to school, you know, kindergarten or otherwise. And, you know, in the beginning, Dan was adamant about it. He's the professional ed- educator in the family. And he just, he he did not appreciate many things about the public school system in our area. And he was just like, we're not doing it. We're, our kids are not going there. And so I have always called myself a reluctant homeschooler, especially early on when it was such a large responsibility. And it largely was my responsibility because I wasn't working outside the house at the time. And I was the one who was home doing a lot of it. And Dan was working full time outside the house. So, you know, that's kind of how it goes. And that's how many homeschooling families are set up. And I did feel burdened by it. Uh, It was hard. It was an enormous responsibility. I kind of struggled beneath the weight of that responsibility many years. I used to sometimes dread the start of the school year. We would always take summers off and I would just be in dread of September. and, And really, it was about how much of a responsibility it felt to me. And it was overwhelming at times. And and just, you know, my precious time. Like I always like to have my own time to do my own projects and pursue my own goals. And whether my own goals are catching up the laundry or writing a book, like I always have my own goals. And um, this homeschooling thing was a, a huge, huge imposition on my time every day. So I did feel burdened by it at times, but I was a reluctant homeschooler, but I was fully on board for the ride. And I I did support the reasons why we were doing it. Um, And then, you know, through the years, I used to sometimes really stress that we were completely failing at it, like failing our kids, failing. I felt like I was failing as like being just a homemaker because I couldn't keep up with the stuff all the, you know, making meals and cleaning up and, but then also teaching the kids and keeping on top of them in multiple different grade levels. And it was exhausting and overwhelming. And and we did, you know, some things did fall through the cracks, whether it was the housekeeping or, or the, the meals that we were making or things with regard to what we were doing in homeschool, there were some gaps there. So I can look back and I can see that now. But so we remained committed to it through until my oldest was a junior in high school. And here in New Hampshire, the laws are very friendly to homeschoolers. And we are allowed to have our kids participate in school clubs, in school sports, even if they're not enrolled at the school. They also can just take one class at the high school if if you want them to. It's kind of like an a la carte thing. You can have them just take algebra at school or just take a lab science at school, which is a really nice option. So I decided when our oldest was a a junior in high school that we would, we should do that. I thought, you know, I'm anticipating she's going to go to college. She's never really sat in a formal classroom. I felt like she needed that kind of experience a little bit. And so I signed her up for an English class at our local public high school. She did not want to go. (laughs) she really didn't want to go. She didn't want to do it. I was super nervous about doing it. I remember I dropped her off at the school the first day she was going to her class and sat in the parking lot and just cried. And I remember at the time thinking, these are the tears that many moms cry when their kid goes to kindergarten. (laughs) And I had saved them up for, you know, until she was 16 years old and was taking an English class at the high school. It was so dumb, but it felt like a transition to me and it felt like a beginning of letting go. And it was hard. Also, it was hard because I was in an absolute 
panic that now that she was going to go to this school and be in a classroom with a quote unquote real teacher with quote unquote real classmates, that she was going to epically fail at this. And we would be exposed as the frauds that I secretly knew we were all these years and that our kids were not educated after all. And none of that happened. <laughs> you know, She did great. She excelled in that class and then went on to excel in other classes that she took. And that part was a great success. And I was so proud of her. And I, I, you know, in that moment, as we were kind of navigating, transitioning to a little bit of going to school and homeschooling, I felt so proud of how far we had come together. Like the things we had learned together. It wasn't like this accomplishment of mine and it wasn't just an accomplishment of hers. It was, we had struggled through this thing together and here we are and we have learned some things and we have gained some skills and she could write. And, you know, those things were just, it was, it was really an encouraging moment for me as discouraging as it was for her because she didn't appreciate many things about the the public high school, Uh, especially socially speaking. It was kind of a mess there. Okay. So, but that said, Then the future from there, um, multiple of our kids transitioned to some form of high schooling at our local public high school. Some of them went full time. Most recently, uh, Gabby and Stephen, who are are our fifth and sixth children, went full time and graduated from our local high school. And, you know, it's a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag. But I always fully understood that living out in a very, very rural area as we do, we're kind of isolated and there are very few options. We don't have like a giant homeschooling group nearby. We don't have a homeschool co-op. There aren't a lot of those kinds of social activities for my kids to take part in. And as they got older, I did fully appreciate and recognize that some of them were feeling isolated, having just their siblings as their friends. And of course they had friends that they would see, but it was, you know, on weekends and that kind of thing. And they they regularly wanted to be with more of their peers. And that's a normal part of their development. And so I understood that. So it was part of what we balanced when we were deciding, you know, who would go to school and when and kind of transitioning that. But each kid was entirely different, had different needs, had different strengths, had different challenges in their education. So treating each of them as an individual really was helpful to us. And having that option here in New Hampshire, I'm so grateful for the fact that we live here in New Hampshire that is so super friendly to homeschoolers in many different regards. So that was a real blessing. But now that we're at our last two and they are in high school, a freshman and a sophomore in high school, they are full-time homeschooled and neither of them ever wants to go to school if you ask them now. So I think we're going to just finish out this way with full-time homeschooling. They are currently enrolled in Seton, which is a great program. There are lots of different great programs that you can enroll your kids in that are accredited and you can get them um, credits and you can get them a diploma that way. But I will also say, (laughs) maybe this is turning into the homeschooling show, um, that you do not have to have them enrolled in school to finish up their homeschooling with you at home. My oldest never did receive an official high school diploma because she did stuff at home. She did stuff at the local school. It was just a mixed, you know, she did stuff online. She did like community college courses, just a completely mixed resume that she had. And it was nothing but a benefit to her. She got into every single school that she applied to wasn't a problem. So I want to say that to encourage those of you who don't are like wondering about the future. And I'll tell you, the the world is friendly to homeschoolers in ways that I don't think it was in the past. And, you know, for sure, she really benefited from having that kind of variety on her resume as she was applying to different schools. So and then one final note for people who are homeschooling or thinking about taking it on. 
I, you know, I mentioned how overwhelmed I was at times, how daunting it felt at times. I used to lie awake in the middle of the night, worried that we were failing at all of it. But I can look back now and say that homeschooling was like the the best decision we made as parents, you know, of all the different things that we decided together as a family that Dan and I decided for our kids' education and upbringing, homeschooling was, it was was honestly the best decision, one of the best decisions we made. And I value it not because of the kids' education, although I think they've gotten a decent education, and not because of like sheltering them from society, although I think there is great value in doing that sometimes, but it's just the precious gift of time with our kids. And I don't take that for granted. I know that it was a huge gift to be able to spend that time with our kids. And I have found that our relationships have grown through that shared time, shared sharing spaces together over the course of time. That's how relationships grow. That's how love grows. That's how, you know, human beings connect and bond with one another. And it doesn't mean you have to homeschool to be able to do that. That's not my point here. But I am looking back now, and that is what I really value about our decision to homeschool above anything else is the value it gave to our relationships with each of our kids and the relationships of our kids with one another. And that is made possible only through the gift of time together. So that was the long answer to your question about our homeschooling journey. I have more that I could say about it. Probably I'm just going to table that for now, though, and maybe bring this topic back to a future episode of Girlfriends. All right, next question. How do you find your guests for Girlfriends and who have been some of your favorites? Oh, well, this is a fun one. So in the beginning, I used to just have to hunt people down and I would read a book and be like, I want to get this author on. Or I would like, you know, just har- harass people on their Instagram account or something. Just please come on my show. And people are generally very gracious. And um, it wasn't ever too much of a battle, but it was a little bit of a struggle sometimes. There were certain people I wanted to get on that was a little bit harder to get in contact with them and that sort of thing. But now Girlfriends has grown enough so that by and large, people do come to me. I really felt like I had arrived when I received a piece of mail. It was like a promotional thing from a publicist that I received in the mail at my PO box. And it was like addressed to Danielle Bean. And underneath my name, it said Girlfriends Podcast. And then our address. And I was like, wow, the Girlfriends Podcast has arrived receiving mail from publicists. Anyway, um, so sometimes publicists will reach out to me, um, different book publishers will reach out to me, authors themselves or people that are looking to promote particular projects or ministries will sometimes reach out to me. And I find I receive a lot of quality guest ideas in that way. There still are people that I will hunt down and uh, try to get on because they're so fantastic. One that was like that is Kimberly Hahn. So someone asked like, what was, what have been some of your favorites? Well, I'm just gonna, there were a ton of favorites, but I have to mention Kimberly Hahn because she has such a beautiful maternal presence about her. She is so full of gentleness and wisdom, and she speaks such truth, sometimes even hard truth, sometimes even challenging truth in such a beautifully gentle motherly way that I really loved my conversation with her. And that was back a little bit over a year ago that I had her on Girlfriend. So definitely check out that episode. And if you have an idea for a guest you'd like to have on here, let me know. I'm always open to your ideas for who would make a great guest on Girlfriends. And, you know, that said, 
I love having the option to have guests on. You know, sometimes I'll mix it up and some shows are just me and some shows I'll, I'll have a guest and I really try to go back and forth so it ends up in the end being about 50-50. But I really value bringing other voices on here. I think that's one of the gifts of recording the Girlfriends podcast and kind of a bonus for me. Oftentimes I'll have someone on and we're really just friends and I've known them for years or I've supported their work from a distance for years. And it's just a joy to have that opportunity to just chat with them. Like I I joked early on when I was beginning to do interviews for the podcast that Girlfriends was just an excuse for me to like talk with my friends on a regular basis and (laughs) kind of check in with them. And it really is that. And sometimes when I'm recording a conversation with somebody and it's it's going especially well, I completely forget that we're recording. It's just us talking. And I love that. And I love the the gift of having so many different perspectives that we can share so many different ways that women are living out their calling to Catholic faith life and family life. And it's just really encouraging and inspiring to be able to see. So I love having guests on. I've got more questions coming up, but first we're going to take a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. And if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie and Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. That's youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. Okay, next question. What right now brings you the most joy? And what right now is a hardship? Okay, this is an interesting question because I really had to think about this um, a little bit. And well, not the joy part so much because I would say right now my biggest joy, and this is something that's a little bit counterintuitive, but I'm, you know, we're in the holiday season now and I'm becoming aware of it as we have different gatherings and uh, some of my big kids are around and um, home for the holidays or visiting. And I'll find that I really get so much joy out of just kind of being behind the scenes a little bit. Um, whether it's behind the scenes, being the one who kind of puts a meal together or cleans up afterwards, or behind the scenes, just kind of sitting in the corner of the living room while uh, other people are are talking or sharing ideas or playing a game or having fun in some way, I am finding a lot more joy in pulling back a little bit and being quiet. I don't feel any need to be the center of attention, the center of activity in in a way that, yeah, I would say when I was younger, for sure I did. And when I was the mom with little kids, I, I was, whether I liked it or not, oftentimes the, the center of attention. But I'm finding that as my big kids are growing into lives and roles of their own, there's such joy in watching that process. And there's real privilege in being able to support them and pray for them through some of the big things that they are doing, that they are taking on. And I'm finding quiet joy in this stage of my life where I can pull back just a little bit. I can be more observant and less active. And there's really just a a quiet joy in that. And I really look to Our Lady for her example in that because she is such the perfect example of that. If you look to Our Lady at the Nativity, for example, when we read that Mary kept all of these things, reflecting on them in her heart, 
beautiful passage and there's, it's just so much there. There's so much there that we as women can, I think, especially relate to. And I'm finding that I'm stepping more and more into that role of keeping things and reflecting on them in my heart and asking Mama Mary to be my model, my role model through that, to be my guide through this process, through this stage of my family life. So much joy to be found there in keeping things and reflecting on them in my heart. And then, okay, one hardship of getting older, also related, is that being at this stage of parenting where um, my entire book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go, Reflections on the Gift of Motherhood, is all about this, kind of this balance between the joy of this stage of life and um, what is really a hardship, which is that that letting go and kind of stepping into a new routine, learning what my new role might be. It's uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable. And, you know, it's a big change when you go from, you know, being a single person to being married. It's a big change when you go from being a married couple to having a baby. Big changes every time you add a baby to your family. And I for sure felt all of that. But now I'm feeling it in different ways as my kids are leaving in many ways or getting married themselves or going away to school or starting jobs, starting lives and families of their own. And that is in some ways, a real hardship, kind of figuring out like, who am I now? What am I called to do now? And kind of adjusting to this different pace of life with a kind of new daily routines. And, you know, it's a challenging pace because I remember my mom reflecting on this years ago when I was in college and we would come home and some of my siblings were married and having kids and they would come home for the holidays. And I remember my mom saying it was like feast or famine. It was like, nobody was home or everybody was home. And I, as we're going through the holidays now, this year and last year, and even the year before somewhat, experienced that. Like it's either super quiet around here or it's crazy and everybody's here. And so I'm just adapting to that. And that's that's a little bit hard for me because change is hard. And I'm kind of trying to settle into new routines and learning this new pace of life. And in addition to that, there's something interesting about this stage of life that I'm at that I've discovered that I'm kind of gaining a new perspective, a little bit of a broader perspective where when I was younger, I tended to take on all the things and feel like there was plenty of time to do everything, all the great things that I I might want to do, whether it was with my, you know, in my personal life or with my family or professionally speaking. I just, I always felt like there's, you know, there's endless time for all of it. And I am at a stage now where I can look and say, wow, like, you know, these last 49 years have gone quickly. And I can look ahead and say, I know the next 49 will go even more quickly, you know, if I'm blessed to have that many here on earth. But looking at that, I kind of have a different perspective. That is a hardship sometimes because you feel like, you know, I'm not going to have time to do all the things. And so I need to pick and choose like which things I'm going to do. And, you know, kind of, you kind of have that moment of panic sometimes. I, I recently heard about a young woman who had a work opportunity that I probably would have loved when I was her age, but it's not something I ever did. And I'm not going to be doing that particular thing right now. There's, it's not for me, it's not going to happen, but it was kind of a funny feeling like being reminded of wanting to have do, to do that particular thing once upon a time and realizing I'm never going to do that. And I have to be okay with that and not feel like life is passing me by because I'm not doing all the things. It's okay. Um, so that's like a little bit of a little bit of the challenge of this particular stage of life. But good question. I, I really appreciate that one. 
Let's see, what should we go to next? Um, Okay, someone's asking about potty training a stubborn two-year-old, where to start, and generally navigating the terrible twos with other children very close in age. This particular uh, listener says, in March, I will have three under three. Okay, so you are in a very unique place. (laughs) You'll have three under three. That is crazy town. However you look at it, I totally get it. We were there once. I totally understand. So, potty training a stubborn two-year-old. Well, maybe you don't need to start. I did have three kids in diapers at one point in our family life. And as crazy as that was, it would have been crazier to try to potty train the oldest one that was in diapers at that point. It just wasn't happening. And it would have caused us all kinds of frustration. But if you're saying that, you know, your two-year-old is particularly stubborn and you're, you're kind of feeling defeated before you start, maybe you can just hit the pause button. It's not like your kid has to be potty trained when they're two years old. You know, every child is different. Every family circumstances are different. And I'll just encourage you to know that whatever struggle you're going through, whether it's, you know, navigating something else with the quote unquote terrible twos or the terrific twos or however you want to refer to them, they can be a challenging time for sure. Just know that this won't last forever. It's easy to get caught up in this idea that with whatever we're struggling with in this particular moment, whether it's in your work life or in your parenting, in your family life, in your marriage, like this is going to go on forever. And it's not. Then as, you know, as no does, that is, sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that because we can get caught up in feeling overwhelmed and like this is how it's always going to be. I remember many years ago, one of our, one of my daughters, we were struggling to have her give up a pacifier habit. And it was just becoming this thing. I was like obsessed with this, like, how are we going to get her to give up the pacifier? And, you know, she was crying when she didn't have it and how to wean her off of this thing and all of that. And I remember a friend telling me like, you know, she's not going to walk down the aisle one day with a pacifier. And that was very enlightening to me because somehow subconsciously I was thinking she would. (laughs) And of course she wouldn't. Like this is going to, this is going to resolve itself. Then we're going to figure this out. And so whatever particular challenge you're going through with a young person in your life or the two-year-old or three-year-old or toddler of any age, know that it's not going to last forever. And that give yourself the gift of that kind of perspective and, and give yourself the gift of allowing yourself to hit the pause button on whatever thing you're struggling with, whether it's like, you know, nap times or bedtimes or uh, potty training or giving up pacifiers or, you know, in, you fill in the blank, whatever it is, you can stop. You know, it doesn't have to look one way, even if with one of your other children, it happened at this age, it may not work with that child at that age. And maybe your family circumstances are not conducive to it. I I remember at one point, one of my sons with potty training, I felt overwhelmed with other things and just was not going to take it on. But he was, he just, you know, kind of began it on his own, (laughs) which is not my general experience. It has not been generally my experience that kids will do that. And yet, you know, I realized in that moment, oh, they're all unique individuals. And even though I wasn't going to take this on, he was ready for it. And, and, you know, sometimes just navigating that and, you know, working with your child's temperament and your temperament, but then just remembering, make that your mantra. Today will not last forever. This is not forever. And, you know, kind of keeping your your eyes on the prize and long-term goals and all of that good stuff. So that can really help you to get through some of those more challenging kind of toddler years. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. This is an interesting one. I always love it when you talk about your workouts. How did your exercise routine change over the years? Any tips for working out with a toddler? Okay. So Definitely, my working out has changed through the years. 
I so vividly recall that kind of trying to get a workout in when you have a toddler, when you have little kids, and whether it was getting up early in the morning to try to do it or doing it in the evening or trying to do it during nap time. And it depends what kind of workout, of course, you're trying to do, whether or not they can be right there with you. I have certainly done like exercise videos where the toddler's right there and maybe you're not going to finish it all perfectly. Maybe your toddler's going to be getting in your way in some way. But, you know, I always found that that was kind of worth the effort and also kind of sets a good example for them. Like this is part of our routine. This is part of how mama takes care of herself. And this is, you know, part of how we care for ourselves is getting exercise. So whatever it looks like for you. But for sure, when I first started having babies, I was still, I've always loved running. That's always been a part of how I maintain regular exercise. I really enjoy it. That might not be you. um, But I always found that was a very good kind of mother friendly kind of exercise because you don't need special equipment. You don't have to sign up at the gym. You don't, you know, you just got to put on your sneakers and get yourself out the door or to the treadmill, which I've used mine many, many times over the years um, because living here in New Hampshire where it's freezing cold and icy during many months of the year. But that said, there were times, like I remember it was right around, well, actually it was right after my seventh was born that I was, he was, you know, maybe three or four months old and I was trying to get back into a routine of running in the mornings. I felt like I, you know, postpartum, I felt ready to take that on. And um, I started running in the mornings and then I did that for about a week. And then I had such debilitating joint pain that I couldn't, it was my joints were like in my knees and my legs were just so swollen and so painful that I was like, what is going on? I'd never experienced this before. And I I went to the doctor about it. And my doctor, she told me, you know, you've been having these babies and nursing and your hormones have been, you know, on this, the steady, (laughs) steady stream of pregnancy and nursing hormones for years now. And, you know, as many of you know, part of your pregnancy hormones do loosen your joints. And what my doctor explained to me was, having your joints loosen that way on an ongoing basis and then trying to run may not be the best plan for me because I was doing damage to, I was easy to damage my joints with that kind of high impact exercise that running was. I was devastated. You know, she was like, find something else to do for now, you know, whether it's Pilates or, you know, doing something low impact. She's like, find something else to do. And, you know, eventually your hormone levels will come back down to normal and you can get back to running. But I was so devastated. I felt so just discouraged by this because here I was, I was trying to keep up this one thing, this one thing I had running and I couldn't do it because I was a mom. It was like one more thing being taken from me. And that was really difficult for me. I did find at that time, it was a popular piece of exercise equipment called a gazelle. Some of you might be familiar with it. That is low impact. Um, There are hilarious videos of the ways that people use these, but it really was like a low impact way that I could move my arms and legs and uh, kind of like an elliptical, but it was, it was slightly different, a little more swingy than that. And it wasn't very expensive. And that thing was a lifesaver because I would use that and it would kind of make a good replacement for for running, at least during that time where I needed to be doing that. So stuff like that. I've kind of come full circle now, though, but I'm back to my running. And now I, I try to balance my running with it, whether it's weight workouts or walking or doing even just a stretching routine. So I'm generally now my routine is I'll mix it up. And I used to do 
like running on one day, weights on another day, running on the one day, weights on another day. And now I've, I feel like I, I want more diversity in what I'm doing. So I will run on one day and then another day I'll either walk or do a stretching routine and then um, weights on a, a third day. And that said, I'm not doing workouts every single day. That's just generally my pattern. So all of that to say, <laughs> you who are asking this question are talking about having a toddler and how you're going to do it. It really depends on what kind of workout you're doing. And um, I really would recommend if it's if it's important to you that you enlist some help. Maybe just ask your husband or an older child if you have one or hire a sitter to, you know, keep the child for the 60 minutes or, you know, however much time you want to, that you'll need to devote to, to your workout. And having that kind of support in place can really motivate you to make it a habit because sometimes the toddler becomes an excuse like, oh, I can't. I can't even begin to do anything, but you can sew. You can sit and do a, a stretching routine. You can go for a walk with a toddler. There are, there are many things you can do with a toddler, but you do maybe have to be flexible about it. And that's something that I've been learning and relearning throughout the years, sometimes much to my dismay and discouragement <laughs> that um, being a mom requires that level of flexibility, sometimes with our own goals, sometimes even with these goals that are, you know, challenges that we want to take on that are that are for our own good and for the good of our family. But, you know, find the help and the support you need to, to make it happen on a regular basis for you. I really do encourage you to make that a priority because for me, it really leads to a sense of balance, a sense of peace. It's an outlet for negative energy. It's, you know, I, I oftentimes look at my my workout as a gift that I'm giving not to myself, although it is to myself, but also to my family and everybody that I'm going to work with because it just improves your mood all around. So find a way that you can make it work for you. All right. Let's see. I'm I don't want to go too long with all of these questions, but let me get this one in. How do you balance a large family working and household duties? I know it varies with each phase of childhood, so I'm looking for any and all pointers for a full-time working mom expecting number 4 this spring. The oldest is 7. Okay. That's a challenging thing. I get it. So yeah, your oldest is 7, you're expecting number 4, you're working full-time. That's a lot of stuff. That is a lot that you have going on. So let me start out by saying, sometimes you have to make your peace with the less than ideal in your, your homemaking. And this is something we don't like to do. We don't like to compromise our standards. We don't like to cut corners or we start to feel bad about ourselves. Like if the dust is building up or if we're not getting around to cleaning the bathroom or whatever it is. But sometimes you do have to make peace with the, the stage of life you're in. It was such a gift to me years ago when my mom, when she came over and I had, you know, all kinds of little kids. And I remember pointing out something that I wasn't getting to with the housekeeping. And, and she said, well, neither did I get around to that when all of you guys were little. And that was a revelation to me because my mom, in my mind, is the perfect housekeeper and she keeps her house perfectly clean at all times. And yet I probably didn't notice that what whatever things weren't getting done when we were all little and she was overwhelmed. So that was helpful for me. Like sometimes you need to admit that you can't get it all done. So it might mean compromising um, some of your standards. It might mean kind of reassessing and saying this is a season in our family life or this is probably not going to get done on a regular basis, like whether it's wiping down baseboards or um, you know, taking down and laundering all the curtains or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but then also sometimes you need to ask for help. 
you need to hire help maybe, you know, if you're able to do that. And so there's no no shame in that. Absolutely. That you can ask for help from your from older kids. You can ask for help from your husband or you can just hire out the help that you might need, whether it's someone coming in once a week or if you're hiring help. Some people I know do this, hire a mother's helper to come in and occupy the kids while they get the cleaning done. Like whatever combination of things is going to work for you, don't be afraid to step out and do it. You can't do all of those things. Nobody can. So just understand that and then figure out, you know, how to get um, what you need to get done, how to get that done. And then that said, I would just say for me, from my own experience, um, three things were were kind of helpful for me. First of all, doing laundry every day. Cannot emphasize that enough. I still do laundry every day. <laughs> there's there's less of it for me to do, but I had to get into a routine where, and I know some people have one day of the week, they do all the laundry and it works for them. That's great. You know, if that works for you, that's great. But for me, I had to come to a place where I needed to accept I needed to do the laundry every day and I needed to do it all the way, meaning put it in the washer, put it in the dryer and fold it and put it away in dresser drawers or hang it in closets, like all the way because it would just hang around and overwhelm me otherwise. So that's one tip I would give you. Also, routines are very helpful. You can attach cleanup routines to your everyday routines with the kids, whether it's after breakfast, there's a general cleanup or after lunchtime, before naps, um, or at the end of the day, many people like to do that. We used to do like a, I think I called it a five minute cleanup. I would really set a timer for five minutes and every kid needed to be boogieing during that time, moving and getting stuff picked up and put away. And it was amazing what a number of us could accomplish in a focused five minutes. So something like that, I would say having kind of anchors in your day where you're doing a general cleanup like that. Um, And then finally, maybe figure out a way to kind of focus on some of those larger tasks of your homemaking that you do want to be getting to in, in a way that you lighten your load on a different day. So you're saying you're working full time. I don't know what your schedule is. So maybe Saturday mornings are going to work for you where you kind of devote that to whatever the tasks are. And I would say enlist your family's help in doing this. So that kind of becomes part of your family's culture. For us, it was Fridays. We would, um, as I mentioned previously, we homeschooled. So I was able to kind of adjust our schedule so that Fridays were generally a light day. Kids had less schoolwork to do and we would focus on chores. So whether it was cleaning rooms, cleaning bathrooms, that was the day I was getting to those things, mopping floors that needed it or doing a real deeper clean in our living spaces and those kinds of things were happening on Fridays for us, but I found it was really helpful. And the fact that I set up our school routines in that way was helpful too, because the kids felt like, oh, they're getting a, a lighter day of school. And here's the trade-off though. You, we're, we're focusing on you know getting your room cleaned and that kind of thing. And I found that was really helpful. So you might look for a way that you could do that with your family, like lighten your load in some other way, whether it's not taking on other activities on certain days or times of a day. And then the the trade-off is this is our time that we're really focused on getting chores done. And it might be for you like before 10 a.m. on a Saturday, before we go out and do all the fun stuff, we're, we're going to get these basic chores done. So those three things, doing laundry every day, all the way, having routines that are helpful, and then really having a day or a time of a day that you can be focused on it in a more deliberate way. Okay, I am coming up on time here. So there's a ton 
one that I didn't get to. And there's such great questions. So for sure, we're going to revisit this in um, a future episode. Some of them I think will become their own episodes, but I might also do some Instagram lives answering some of these. So make sure you're giving me a follow. I'm Danielle Bean over on Instagram. I'd love to be able to connect with you as I'm answering some of these other questions. But I'm going to just wrap up with this one last question, which is pretty short and simple. And this person asked, what has been your favorite part of doing the Girlfriends podcast? And I love this question because the answer is you guys, you're it. You're what I love about doing this podcast, the opportunity to connect with you, to learn from you, to have conversations with you about some of this important stuff, um, some of the fun stuff, some of the hard stuff, to really have this opportunity to connect and be real about everyday stuff, the ups and downs, and some of the funny stuff of family living, but also some of the harder things as well. That's been such a beautiful gift to me. And that's why I started this in the first place. Like I look back to when I decided to start the Girlfriends podcast and what was motivating me at the time, at the time I was still in magazine publishing. I was publisher of Catholic Digest. And I had come to a point in my work where I started out, you know, writing, you know, these family life columns and sharing what was on my heart in these very personal ways and connecting with people on that level. And then that led to blogging, which very much was that personal connection with people. And I found myself at that point, um, six years ago at this point, that I felt so far removed from that, that I didn't feel like I had a connection to the people that I really cared about, the people that I began sharing anything, you know, about family life for in the first place. And that was sad to me. I wanted that connection again. And podcasting seemed like a way that I could do that. And for sure, it has been. And you're the reason that it has been that kind of a joy for me. I have loved connecting with you. I have loved the ways that you have entrusted me with some of your questions, with some of your problems, with the things that are going on in your life, sharing your everyday joys and challenges as you are living out your faith and family life. Such a beautiful gift to me to be a part of that in any small way. So I'm going to end this 300th episode of Girlfriends by just saying thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Girlfriends podcast. Thank you for all the encouragement and support you've given me through these 300 episodes. And I am really looking forward to the next 300. Until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between daniellebean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation.